0: hello hello happy thursday to my true crime people welcome to mommy's crime time it's jenny and today we're going to have an in-depth look at the mistress of chris watts who was the family annihilator out of colorado that killed his pregnant wife shenan and two daughters bella and cece now I do have a YouTube video of this that I published yesterday. If you would like to actually see these things, I'm going to go over. What I am going to do in this podcast is talk about Nicole Kessinger's contradictions and things that she said to police. I'm going to talk about how she would say, you know, one thing in one interview and then completely say something different in another interview. So that is the purpose of this is to kind of lay out What's wrong with her? Why can't she seem to remember things and talk about maybe she's hiding something? What's really up with her? Now, like I said, if you want to see the actual documents, for yourself to see what i'm talking about so you know i didn't just make these things up you can look up the discovery in the chris watts case you can find any like several places online have it you can also like i said go on youtube search for mommy's crime time and i do have a channel and the channel has the slides and i go over them kind of like i'm going to do here but you can actually see these details now before we get started on that i hope everyone is doing well I know that there's been so much heartache in the news lately with the face sweatlet case and, you know, we're still wondering where little Gannon stotches is and it's killing me that we still ha- don't have any details. I mean, it's it's been like three weeks and there's still nothing and I am going to be doing a podcast on the gannis dodge case another one different than the one i've already done and the one that's coming up is going to be more about the stepmom and kind of like what i'm doing right now with nicole kessinger where i kind of break down things that she said that contradict and make her story just not plausible and they don't add up that being said i want to go ahead and jump into this and we'll get started with who is nicole kessinger now as i said she was the mistress of chris watts and She herself came to police and she made it out like she was going to be forthcoming. She wanted to come to them and tell them about this affair. She wanted to help this investigation. She didn't want to hinder it, but she did not want her name in the media. Of course, the detectives are like, okay, really, you know, like that's going to happen. But she did some pretty shady things. She has obviously hidden evidence or hidden things or something she doesn't want people to know. And I don't know what all those things are, but I know that if you look at all of the things I'm going to talk about, it will leave you with a lot of inconsistencies and left out information that definitely is going to make you question her, maybe her involvement, maybe her role, maybe her prior knowledge but I do want to make sure that I know here this this podcast is for educational purposes she has not been charged with any crimes this is my opinion based on the discovery documents so any you know opinions that you hear are mine and this is for educational purposes only so let's start out with one of the biggest things that Nicole Kessinger and Chris Watts have seemed to kind of agree on but their story doesn't exactly line up or make sense That would be, when did their relationship really start? Because we know that this relationship was pretty serious at the time of the murders. So I have a hard time believing when her and Chris Watts both say that this relationship started around the 1st of July. You're talking maybe six week relationship that got this serious. Now when I say this serious, I'll go over what I'm talking about, but in the letters from Christopher book by Sherrilyn Cadle, Chris Watts does basically say that the reason he killed his family was to have a new life with Nikki. So we know she was basically the catalyst for this. We know that she had a big part in his mindset and why he did what he did. So they both say the relationship started, as in the relationship part, in July. But the very first interview with detectives, they met Nicole Kessinger at a park. She wasn't at the police station or anything. She met them at a park. And this is when they ask her, you know, when did you really start seeing each other? And in the first interview, she says it was June. Okay. Sure. All right. But then in the second interview, she says, oh, it was May or June. Now, this to me is kind of awkward because, yes, it's only a month. You know, who knows exactly. But what I'm saying is this is a murder investigation. And you would think that she would have her facts lined up. And before she came to police, she'd say, look, I know we started talking on this day. Now, there are some emails exchanged between them. But overall, it just seems as if she doesn't want to admit to when she actually met him. Because if we look back at Nicole Kessinger's Google searches, back in September of 2017, okay, September 2017, almost a year before the murders, she Googled shenan Watts. In August of 2017, she Googled Chris Watts. And again, in January of 2018, she Googled shenan Watts. Now this is, way before the relationship, way before they ever supposedly met. So I do wonder why was she searching for them if they had never even met each other? Her actions don't line up with her statements. I don't know how you could say you met someone in May or June, but then you search for them several, several months prior to this on Google. So there's one of her big contradictions and inconsistencies. Another one is that she says she didn't know that he was married, she didn't know he was married, She knew he was married, but she knew he was separated. I mean, it's just kind of like a back and forth, like she, and Chris Watts even alludes to this in the book. He says that she knew he was married from day one, but she's just trying to save face. To be fair, he says that she thought he was separated. Okay, in interview one, she says she was aware they were married but they were separating, but in the beginning, she did not even know he had a significant other. Apparently, she found out about the significant other after she found out about the children. She claims that she found out that he had children around Father's Day. We know this is like, what, mid-June for Father's Day. So, at first, she's acting like, oh, I didn't know he was married at all for these first few weeks, and then, you know, he told me he was married, but he was separated. So, that doesn't exactly make sense. And then, the second interview, she completely says, oh, I didn't know he was married. He didn't wear a wedding ring. So where, you know, interview one, I knew he wasn't married but separated. Interview two, I didn't know he was married because he didn't wear a ring. And I found out around Father's Day. So which one was it? You knew he was married? You didn't know he was married? Or is she just confused on the dates where she didn't know he was Like I said, she didn't know he was married. And then she found out he was married. And then he told her he was separating. But one thing about that that I find to be very, very, very telling is if you're separated, then you're not in an active relationship with your spouse you should be you know separated you're in a different you know different homes different whatever now I'm I'm sure there are cases where you know you can't financially be in a different home at that point but this should be a red flag to any woman entering a relationship with a man if he says oh I'm separated but I still live with my wife That's something that just would, it would be a major red flag for any woman. And I don't really believe her story that she thought they were separated. Why do I not believe she believed they were separated? Because of the Google searches. Because she did Google way in advance. And those September and August 2017 Google searches of Shanann and Chris They coincide with when Shanann had neck surgery. It's almost like, you know, she didn't know what Chris was doing, had they met, and she was looking on Facebook to see if she could find out what was happening. This is why I say that it doesn't exactly add up. Also, if you're in a relationship with a man who is supposedly separated, you would not Google, man I'm having an affair with says he will leave his wife, because you would not refer to this as an affair, because in your mind, he was separated and not in an active relationship with his wife. Nicole Kessinger did Google, Men I'm having an affair with says he will leave his wife on July 24th. So again, that does not add up with her story. The next thing is she talks about how the relationship wasn't that serious. You know, he was more into her than she was him. She really just wanted to take this slow, all of these things. So it's, it's almost like in some interviews she's saying, oh, we had a very healthy relationship. But then she's also like, oh, it wasn't serious. we never talked about marriage or anything like that it was not like that at all we never talked about me meeting the kids these kind of things and what we could take it to with that is in interview two in the very beginning detective kobach asks her you know did you ever discuss marriage and she says no we never discussed marriage nothing like that but by the end of that interview the other investigator asks her you know so you never talked about marriage or anything, along those lines. And she says that, oh, well, we offhanded, you know, mentioned it, but it wasn't a deep conversation. So in one interview, she contradicted herself, which to me, if you, if it wasn't that serious, you weren't, you know, talking about marriage, then why exactly on August 4th did you Google wedding dresses for over two hours? And on August 8th, why did you Google marrying your mistress? those two Google searches prove that they did talk about marriage or she was thinking about marriage and that the relationship was more serious than what she was pretending it was to investigators. Now the other thing she says that is definitely a contradiction is kind of, it, it will confuse you is that in the very first interview, she says that her dad is the only person that is aware that she was seeing Chris or aware of the affair. So, Okay, her dad's with her at the interview. Obviously, he would be aware. Okay, interview two, she again says that none of her friends were aware that she was, you know, seeing him. No one knew about him. But then by the third interview, she admits that she did tell her friend Charlotte about Chris Watts as well as sending her pictures of him. And then in a later interview, she's saying, you know, well, she didn't know. She didn't put it together that the man that I was seeing was the man who murdered his family from news outlets. But if she sent her a photo, obviously Charlotte would have known that was him. So, again, she's tripping over her own words of, oh, I only told my dad. Oh, I didn't tell anyone. Oh, wait, I did tell my friend Charlotte. And the thing about her telling her friend Charlotte is basically that she only told Charlotte because they had done, you know, some extraction on her phone. And they had already seen these messages from Charlotte. So she was trying to cover her tracks before they brought it up or they didn't make it look she was lying you know she was trying to make sure she said something about it because she had already said that she had never talked to her friends about him so she really only gives out information when she knows it's going to come out or when it's convenient to her she doesn't just come in there and say look this is everything this is what i've done this is what was said here's my phone with all the messages you can read it i didn't do anything wrong no that's not the case before she went to the police she honestly knew something was in her phone that was gonna get her in trouble because she spends several, t- several hours on August 14th before coming to the police on the 15th searching for can cops trace text messages, how long do phone companies keep text messages, difference between text message and text message detail. So we know that she knew there was something there that they may find that would incriminate her or not make her look good When she's asked, you know, well, why did you delete your phone? She claims it's because after she realized his family was missing, found out Shanann was pregnant, all these things, that she questioned Chris. She got disgusted by him, and she decided to just wipe him out of her life by deleting everything in regards to him. Now, I'm going to call bullshit on this because I'm sorry, but you are in the middle of a death investigation for four people and you just deleted everything because you didn't want people to find out or you you know you were mad at him and you just didn't want to see it anymore she said that's not true those who have nothing to hide hide nothing and obviously she had something there that she wanted to make sure was not seen she tells the detectives that there were some raunchy as she puts it photos in her phone that she, you know, she doesn't want out. He does have to assure her, hey, we're all adults here, you know, but you know, this is important to the investigation. You know, we need to see these things. So she didn't, she totally disregarded the fact that you have dead people, dead children. She was more consumed with what she was gonna look like and what people would see, if that is in fact why she deleted them, or in my opinion, she deleted them because she knew that there was something there that would, you know, incriminate her or show that she had foreknowledge, or something like that of these murders. Now, another major inconsistency of hers between her first interview and her second interview would be that during interview one, they ask her if she'd ever been to the Watts' home, and she tells them that she'd only ever been there one time in mid-July. So this would be that July 14th visit where she went over there and I think it was after the Shelby Mustang Museum, they had that argument, things like that. We found out a lot of details on that from Chris Watts. I'll get into that in a bit. But then in interview two, she says, oh, I was there two times. I went there, you know, early July and then again in the middle of July. When in fact, she was there on July 4th, as well as July 14th. So she contradicted herself there. Again, if you were going to go to the police and you were going to, you know, try to help this investigation, give insight, be forthcoming, I find it hard to believe that you would have forgotten at that point that you had been there twice, not once, and especially leaving out the fact that you had some issues while you were there. Now, in another interview with police, she's talking about the dinner at lazy dog on august 11th she tells investigators this was one of the few times they were ever in public together now later during like the fourth interview kobach says you know i thought you said you were only you know in public a few times she basically tells him that he's incorrect or he you know she doesn't know where he got that maybe he's not remembering it correctly because she does give him more dates about what they had been doing and where they had been. So, between her first interview and, like, the fourth interview, she goes from, oh, we had only been out, you know, together a few times, to admitting they had been out a lot. We do know they went to a lot of places together. Shanann was in North Carolina, so it was easy for Chris to come and go as he pleased. We know that Chris Watts basically lived with her for the month of July because his family was not home. We know that they went to the movies, you know, the first week of July. We know that He um, went to the Shelby Mustang Museum with her on the 14th. We know they went to the drag race and a bar and everything on the 21st. We know they went on that Sandu's camping trip the weekend of July 28th and 29th. And we know that they went to that lazy dog restaurant. So it doesn't add up that they only had a few dates, as she said in the beginning. And they caught her in this contradiction. And then she tried to play dumb as if I never said that, you know, you don't know what you're talking about that sort of thing again, just to kind of make it look like she was being forthcoming. Now there's probably several dates that we don't know about that. She did not disclose to the police because they didn't know about them or, you know, she didn't want to talk about them who knows, but if they couldn't verify it, I'm sure that she would not tell about it because we do know she doesn't talk about things unless it's something that she knows. Like I said, that they're going to find out or it's something that's beneficial to her. She brings up weird, weird shit. I mean, like, just random weird stuff out of nowhere she'll talk about. Like, she talks to him. They're asking her questions, and she talks about his routine and her routine and how she goes to bed early, and he'd want to stay up late, and she would be tired, and then she'd have to take naps during the day. These sort of things that she would go on, like, a wild tangent about that had nothing to do with the case, with the situation at hand, with the fact that there were dead people, she's going over facts that are just completely irrelevant. And it's almost as if she uses these things when they're asking her questions to deflect, to try to like distract the detective from what he's asking her so that she doesn't have to answer the question. Makes him completely lose track of where the hell he was at. So by the end of it, he's always kind of aggravated with her. And I give major props to Detective Kobach for being able to put up with her the way he did, because I would have lost my shit with her because she was just over the top, annoying, wouldn't stay on track and trying her best to get out of answering questions. Now, another thing that we have, you know, wondered about with her is did she know Shanann was pregnant? And her Google searches, in my opinion, do prove that she knew Shanann was pregnant. Because when Chris came to North Carolina, for that six week of the family vacation he joined her and the girls here for one week during this week nicole kessinger was actively searching for Shanann and chris watts so we know that she had to be looking at facebook probably because he wasn't talking to her much and she was trying to see what he was doing and what was going on again Shanann's facebook was public everything was posted i mean anything you want to know about her was there there were things about her being pregnant. It did appear they were a happy couple. She would have seen these things. So I I do not believe for a minute that she did not know Shanann was pregnant. And I think that she only said this again because she just wanted to save face in front of the investigators and pretend like she was the victim rather than, you know, admitting that Shanann was the victim and that she was wrong in what she did. Another one that this one is definitely one that kind of irritates me is that she's going to tell them on August 16th during her second interview that that she knew she had been to the house before but you know she knew it was off of the highway but she did not know the address okay sure except the fact that on august 11th after that lazy dog date between her and chris watts she googled shenan watts chris watts and ronnie watts who is chris watts's father and she also googled 2825 saratoga trail how would she google his address if she didn't know his address So there is another major contradiction that she made that she didn't know the address, but yet she Googled it. Why did she Google it? Because from what we understand, she never went back to the house, right? This was on the 11th. The murders occurred like the early morning of the 13th. So why would she have Googled the address? Was she trying to make sure she went the right way? Because we know that she pinged in Frederick at 616 a.m. on the 13th. And this is one thing that I don't know how to disprove, I don't know how it's not been brought to light n- more than it has I don't know how it hasn't been investigated that she pinged in Frederick and it's very obvious by her phone records again they are in the discovery that she never pinged in Frederick except the times that she was with Chris Watts so there's no reason for her to ping there and the fact that she did ping in Frederick that morning of the murders it's led to a lot of speculation that was she there that night or that morning or did she have a hand in the murders? Did she help dispose of evidence? Why did she ping there? I don't understand why we've not been given any answers to this. I know that there's one um, YouTuber that has requested the raw cell phone data, which to a regular person like me, it wouldn't make sense. It would just be like, you know, computer code type things, but this is what they would use to track her cell phone. So if she pinged in Frederick, it would show where the, you know, the, we know the call originated in Frederick. But, you know, was she driving at that point? Was she going a certain way? Was she headed to work? And I know that they said it was going to cost like $3,000 to release that information for them to investigate it, print out the reports, the CDs, stuff like that. So I don't I haven't heard any update on whether this lady has gotten that. But I do hope that she does so that we can find out more detail. Maybe they're not releasing it because they know more than what we know. At this point, we don't know, but I'm sure we would all freaking love to know. With that, we'll be right back and we'll go over some more of her contradictions. All right, y'all, welcome back. Let's get back to the fabulous and wonderful and such a great person, Nicole Kessinger. And we're going to talk now about her saying that her and Chris Watts never fought. She never saw him angry. She never saw a side of him that would alarm her. Okay, that's probably true that she never, you know, seen him angry. But we do know that he saw her angry twice. We know that she says they never fought. But in fact, there were two arguments that we know of. The first one was on July 4th. Chris Watson stayed the night at her house. He woke up early morning on July 3rd. He had like 10 missed calls, tons of messages from Shanann. So he goes outside to call Shanann back. She's obviously pissed. So he goes inside. Nicole is in the shower. And he tells her, look, I got to go. I'm going home. And I guess he alludes to the fact they're not going to hang out for the rest of the day or something like that. What does she do? She gets pissed. So she drives to his home You know that she doesn't know the address to because she's mad and she wants to talk about this or whatever. Now she tells investigators that she was there on the 4th because she was helping him set up his Fitness Pal app when in fact she was there on the 4th because she came over there unannounced because she was angry that he had left her house. Chris Watts says that this is probably the first time that she realized that she was not number one in his life. So again, she does not mention any of this. The July 14th fight was after they went to that museum they stopped back at his house and he says that you know she's walking around the house she even states that she had looked around the house a little bit she she does not say she went to the master bedroom I'm gonna call bullshit on that too because you know she did but she walks around the house she follows Dieter their dog upstairs she comes down he says he can tell she's angry upset she gets mad she asks him what the fuck he is doing with her that's her words And they get in this big fight about it because she's saying you have this life and you have this house and all these things. So she goes outside and she sits in her vehicle in the driveway for about 30 minutes. He describes how he had to talk her off the ledge and get her to come back inside and talk to him. And then later that night is a night that she told him that she wanted to have his first son. Now, I feel like there is something left out of this. I feel like maybe while she was in the home on the 14th, if she did not know Shanann was pregnant, Maybe this is when she found out. I'm sure there were probably baby items around the home. And that would mean, you know, why she would ask or say, I want to have your first son. To me, you know, I just thought like that would be an out of nowhere comment unless she had seen something or knew something about Shanann's pregnancy that had happened that very day. But again, she did not mention any of these arguments or anything like that to the investigators. Now, she also gave them a really hard time with getting her phone. She did not want to hand this phone over. I mean, she kept saying, you know, you can you can, you can, can have my phone, whatever. But every time it was time, she would kind of give them a hard time. They did some uploads or downloads of the data on her phone. But ultimately, she did not end up surrendering her phone until like September 6th, I believe. So she had her phone for a long time and she she did not want to give it over. And to me, this is again telling why did she want to give the phone over? She was scared they'd be able to get something off of it that she had deleted. Another fun fact, they asked her about the dinner on august 11th at that lazy dog restaurant and in the second interview you know she, she doesn't really know what they talked about what they talk about and Then she, we talked about fitness we talked about his fitness maybe okay so all right so this entire dinner that you're out the night before you know or the day before his wife is supposed to come home you're talking about his fitness well then by like the fourth interview she's like okay no We were talking about apartments and him looking for an apartment, and he was going to start looking at apartments the week of the 13th. We're talking about his financial situation, him opening a bank account in his own name to save money. But of course, she did not remember this in the second interview, which was obviously a lot closer in time to that interview. So again, she only remembers things when it's convenient for her. Then she also talks about how Chris Watts never talked bad about Shannon Watts. She, you know, she, he never said anything bad. He said she was a great mom, but later slowly over the interviews, you can read where she is very condescending towards Shanann. She almost looks for any way that she can kind of insult her. She also will not say Shanann. The detective has to prompt her to say it. She, she refuses to say her name. She refers to her as her. So again, you know, over these, you know, several interviews is, oh, she, you know, she was always spending too much money. She was bossy. She didn't let Chris be himself. And all these things that she's saying when obviously that she did talk bad about her, but she was trying to portray like, oh, I don't have anything bad to say about her. When obviously she did and she would let things out slowly. Now, remember, she said this relationship wasn't serious. Okay. Then why did she give Chris Watts an apartment to her house on August 8th? Now, she didn't tell police about this. This came out in the Letters from Christopher book. He claims that he took paint for her car that he picked up at the Toyota dealership, touch-up paint, and that that's when she gave him a key to the house. Now, this is also the day that Shanann had her ultrasound, that he was, you know, running late to, that sort of thing. So my question with that is, you know, did she give him this key because she knew the ultrasound was that day she was trying to, like in a way, seal their relationship or do something to make sure that she was in his mind at the ultrasound? And did she kind of keep him around to stall him so that he wasn't able to be on time or she was trying to keep him from going to that? Now, that's my speculation. There's nothing to prove that. And of course, it's him saying that she gave him the key. I don't know if that was ever verified, but if it wasn't that serious, why would she give him a key? She also talks about how she doesn't know much about his kids other than their names. She's never met them. You know, all she knows is like they're two little girls and they're so cute if you hear her talk about it. He was a dad. Her voice is aggravating as all freaking get out. But she talks about how she knew that Celeste had a peanut allergy or a tree nut allergy. If you didn't know anything about his kids other than their names, why would you know about allergies? And she also knew about the incident in North Carolina between Shanann and Cindy Watts, Chris's mother, with the nutgate as they call it if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to spend like an hour talking about it. It was basically where Shanann felt like his mother wasn't being sympathetic to her allergy of nuts and and endangering her, that sort of thing. So how would she know about this? Doesn't make sense. Now, there's been one thing that has been a major topic of discussion that she always seems to forget. I understand we forget things. I forget things all the freaking time, but you would think that if you talk to someone on the phone for 111 minutes while that person is waiting for their wife to come home, you might remember what this conversation was about, specifically when the conversation happened in the late hours, um, right before you know, midnight, that sort of thing. It was somewhere in there. I'd have to look back and see exactly what the times were. But this call happened the night before the murders. So he murdered his family the very next morning, but she cannot recall what this conversation was about. Her first interview was on the 15th, y'all. She couldn't remember what it was about that fast. She forgot. But what she could remember was that she heard the TV. So she knew he wasn't in the basement. You don't remember what you talked about. You don't remember any content of this conversation, but you remember the TV's on odd. Then later, she finally says, oh, wait, we did talk about him going to Survey 319 and he was going to go work on this or that. So slowly that comes out. This phone call did originate in Thornton, where she lived. Now, there has been a lot of speculation, especially recently after they have gone over the router data, that sort of thing. And, you know, some of the information there and the security type stuff from the home on that night. And it looks as if, you know, what if possible speculation here. She started calling him from Thornton and she was actually driving to his home. And that's why they had this long conversation. It was like an alibi. He, you know, came on and off of his router. Did he walk outside? Did he meet her? Did he let her in the back door? She wouldn't have been on video surveillance. Did she stay the night there? Did she assist in the murders? And is this why she pinged in Frederick the next morning because she had been there that night? Now that part of it, I cannot verify. That's speculation. Like I said, that person's trying to get that cell phone data, but what I can say is that she just seems to not remember shit about this long phone call right before the murders, and you would really think that she would remember at least something other than, oh, um, the TV was on, and oh, yeah, he said he was going to serve you the next morning. Obviously, there had to be more content than that. I think they were probably getting their story straight for what they were going to say. Again, my opinion. Now, On the 13th, she is on this after the murders. This is that night. The family's missing. She talks to him on the phone several times that night. And she talks, you know, differently about how his he acted, things like that. But one thing that she completely fails to mention to the investigators is that she was on the phone with Chris Watts on his personal cell phone. While he was on his work phone with the detective. So she was eavesdropping. She never mentions this. He plays phone tag with the detective for a minute. He says, oh, um, my, my phone, my personal phone is not working right. So I called you on my work phone. He called on the work phone because Nicole Kessinger was on his personal phone. So obviously she was listening into the conversation. Why would she not mention this? If there was something to it, why wouldn't she say, oh, yeah, well, I was talking to him that night and the detective called. I remember him saying that he had to you know, put me on hold or something, but she doesn't even mention it. So that I don't, I don't like, I don't like that. She doesn't tell that that kind of makes me feel like she's being shady as hell. And another thing about that night is if, if let's say Nicole Kessinger really, truly believed that Shanann Watts was just at a friend's house blowing off steam. She was going to come home. Then why did she tell Chris Watts to pawn Shanann's wedding rings? He's talking about getting them appraised, this sort of thing. And she's like, pawn them. If you thought she was coming home, why would you tell him to pawn the wedding rings She also, you know, later tells him on the 14th that he needs to delete everything out of his phone. She doesn't want his friends to find anything out. She didn't want his friends to find anything out or she didn't want investigators to see stuff in his phone that she had deleted out of hers. So again, just delete your phone and sell her wedding rings. Doesn't make sense. Don't buy it for a minute. Now, another thing about her interview three is she's talking about on the night of the 13th that she was just so upset and worried about Shanann and the girls that she could not sleep. She was up doing laundry. Now she tells Chris Watts, you know, move your truck that way. If Shanann comes home, you know, she won't scare her off, but she's saying, you know, she's so upset by the end of the interview. She's like, well, I really wasn't that worried because I really thought that her friend, Nicole Atkinson that came there, you know, her son was with her and Chris Watts has said that he was like running around the house and, you know, Maybe he was secretly gathering things for Shanann and the girls because they were really with Nicole Atkinson. Okay, what? She even says that Chris Watts tells her, no, he doesn't believe that. But how is she going to say, okay, well, I thought maybe he was there gathering stuff. You know, I really thought that she was okay. She was with a friend. But right before that, you say, oh, I was so worried. I couldn't sleep. You know, I was just so upset about it. it just really tore me up. But then you're saying, well, I figured that she was just at her friend's house. I mean, I didn't think it was even that serious. And she's going back and forth. Okay, now, one of the last things I want to hit on about her, well, yeah, one of the last, is the fact that this chick Googled condom expiration dates. This, to me, is freaking weird. Like, she says that, you know, around, like, the 26th or 27th of June, even though the relationship didn't start, you know, until the first week of July, he brought her, he brought two boxes of condoms to the house one of them was unopened, one of them had been, like, half-used, and, of course, he's asking him, you know, why'd you bring me these half-used condoms, and he's going to say, oh, we they were for me and Shadam. when we used to have sex, they were just on a shelf getting, you know, dust, and, you know, she probably wouldn't even notice they're gone, and this is when she says that he's going to claim that they hadn't had sex since May, in a later statement, she claims that he had told her it was March or April, so, you know, again, it's, which date isn't really. She says that uh, he told her that she didn't like to get messy. That's why they had them. And that's when she says that she asked him, well, you know, were you trying to conceive a baby? And he says, no. Now, Chris Watts does admit that he admitted to her that they were trying to conceive a baby before he met her. And they sort of seen each other. She doesn't say this. She makes it out like he, she asked him. He said, no, he says that he did say this to her and that she did know that they had been, but he did not tell her she was pregnant. So again, who to believe, but honestly, I tend to believe him more on that one than her because it's just odd to me that, you know, who Googles condom expiration dates? I mean, that's, that's weird. I mean, you're going to, you're going to go to the extreme that you will Google condom expiration dates, but you're going to act like you didn't search her Facebook and you didn't know she was pregnant. So she had some strange behavior too. And some of that was like this weird giggle and this fake cry and voice. I've talked about that before, you know, and she's like, Oh. They were so little. And it's just, it's really annoying. If you haven't heard it, just go on YouTube. You can hear it in the video I was talking about earlier, the NK video I posted yesterday. And you can also just Google, you know, NK giggle, and you'll hear this freaking weird childlike giggle. It's odd. Maybe she's just immature. I don't know, but it's strange. She's also very flirty with the detectives. Especially, you know, Detective Kobach, she's very like, she starts out sounding sad in the interviews, but she always ends up upbeat and talking and talking about her, you know, oh, I'm very healthy, and I eat clean, and I work out and blah, 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 and just, she's very, very, you know, flirty with him. And it's obvious whenever they have detective Tammy Lee and the other detect female detective walk into the room that her attitude towards them is totally different. She just kind of looks down, acts somber, doesn't really want to talk to him. So it's clear that she was, you know, trying to be flirty. Maybe this is her tactic with men, but all I'm saying is something's wrong with this chick. Um, another thing, as I mentioned before, is that she's always just concerned with herself, her job, talking about what am I going to do about my job? I'm going to lose my job. Um, i worked so hard to get this job. I don't want a new job. I mean, it's just like she's constantly talking about what's going to happen to her. And again, not realizing that this is a murder investigation and that the person that she was seeing killed his family, but she's too worried about herself. Another issue I have with this is that when she went to Thornton Police Department for that second interview, she asked for a ride to the police department. The detectives had to go pick her up and bring her there. Why? At that point, like nobody knew who she was yet. It didn't make sense. It even more confused me when I realized her dad was there and her dad drove himself there. Why didn't she ride with her dad? Why did she ask detectives to pick her up? I wonder speculation if maybe she didn't want her vehicle there. Maybe there was something to hide. Maybe she was scared. They would look at her vehicle. Don't know. Now, one more thing that I want to say about her that kind of, to me, makes it clear that she's just a cold hearted bitch is the fact that. She Googled Amber Fry, Amber Fry book deal, net worth, and do people hate Amber Fry on August 19th. Now, if she had just Googled Amber Fry, I would think that she was looking at this like, you know, Amber Fry went through what I'm going through. Yeah, you know, how did she cope? But no, she searches for book deal and net worth. Like she's trying to have some kind of financial gain or thinking about it from this tragedy. And I don't like that at all. I feel like that was really just a crappy thing to do. And it was also telling of her and what kind of person that she was. Now, there's still a lot of speculation. There's still a lot going on around her. People are still questioning this. For example, her friend Jim, when they were asking her about the day of the murders, you know, when she went home, she talks about going home, her friend Jim being there. They ask her, well, who's Jim? And she gets very defensive. Don't ask me about Jim. Jim doesn't know anything about this. She wouldn't give them any information. Why? Why would you not say, oh, well, this is my friend Jim. This is his last name. He has something to do with it, but if you need to talk to him, you can. No, instead, don't talk to Jim. So again, hiding something, why the secrets, I mean, just doesn't make sense to me. Now, I do urge you to read the discovery or watch the video I posted on YouTube so you can actually see these statements. You see that I'm not making them up and you can see what she said. I do plan on doing more about Nicole Kessinger And about other things surrounding her other than just her contradictions, as I have here. I hope that maybe we'll get more information from these cell phone data searches that they're trying to get. Don't know. Hope we do. But either way, I feel like she should have been investigated more. And I feel like Chris Watts took this plea deal to stop the investigation. Because we all know, even Agent Tammy Lee says, we weren't done. There was still so much to do. Everything just stopped. So I do feel like she would have been investigated more, possibly indicted for something, if nothing else, obstruction of justice. But because of the plea deal, she wasn't. I'm gonna let you decide what you think about her. Do the research if you want, see what you think. But all I'm gonna tell you is there's something wrong with her. She must have amnesia, short-term memory loss, or she just doesn't want to incriminate herself. So she's constantly lying. Because if you're telling the truth, it never changes. Her story changes several times. I want to thank you for listening to Mommy's Crime Time. I ask that you continue listening to me. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, all under Mommy's Crime Time. I hope you guys have a great afternoon and see you later. <laughs>